Christians are a peculiar people. To the world around us, we often appear as strange or weird, like we really don't fit in. The phrase the Apostle Peter used to describe us was elect exiles. The idea is that even though we are chosen and precious to God, in a world that's corrupted by sin, we will feel like strangers or sojourners. As the song says, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. So Christians are called to live like foreigners and exiles while still pursuing relationships with the people around us who are not like us. And Peter's first letter is written to help saints, young and old, to figure out how to do that, how to live in the world while not becoming like the world, while also seeking to win the world back to God. The following episode is one of nine where we dove into this letter with fellow saints and seekers here in Brooklyn to try and figure out how do we share the gospel with our neighbors around us when the gospel feels like it's mostly unwelcome. Hope you benefit from listening. Peace and love, everybody. And uh, and that that's a big, big emphasis as well. Talk more about why that is in a moment, but it seems like these people needed um, needed to think more about the hope that they had in Christ. Um, good, good, good. One thing that stood out to me in the first paragraph, I don't think it's in the second, um, is this idea that the, you know, he's telling them how the prophets who were searching the scriptures to figure out who they were speaking to found out they were speaking to you. I'm not sure if that's how it's put, but that idea wasn't, but that's a really interesting um, part of that paragraph. Yeah. Um, people were writing about some stuff, but they didn't really understand what they were writing about. But actually, they weren't writing for themselves. They were actually writing for you guys, yeah. uh, Peter says. Right. Um, so it wasn't going to make a whole lot of sense to them. We'll come back to that in a little bit, too, if we have time. Good, good, good. Uh, notice in chapter 1 and verse 1, um, who does Peter say he's writing to? Um, my translation there says, uh, to those who are elect exiles of the dispersion in Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. I think Ruth pointed out um, that he's writing to people who are scattered across um, all, all of these, uh, these nations or these, uh, these different um, areas. Christians who are, are, who are scattered across these, these lands. I want you to think about for a moment, why, what, what do you think Peter uh, means by, or why does he refer to his audience as elect exiles? What comes to mind when you think of, uh, of that idea of uh, Christians being, a Christian being an exile? And, uh, and, and what kind of challenges would you anticipate Christians who are exiles um, facing? It's not a word we use every day. Uh, some translations there, by the way, are a little bit different. You might have a word like a stranger or a sojourner or, uh, um, or pilgrim, something there. So what comes to your mind when you think about this idea of elect exiles? Why do you think Peter talks about them in that way? And, and what kind of, uh, what does that teach us about what these Christians might have been going through or what their life might have been like?
I guess I can see it in kind of two ways, right? Um, there's the very real understanding of, at the time, persecution of Christians, right? So having to flee certain places that you are. But then also in the sense of a Christian is never really, like, to me, we're not really comfortable anywhere in the world that we're at because yep. we're very countercultural right. to any place <laughs> that we're going to be. So it's almost like, I mean, the, the NASB says, reside as aliens scattered throughout. The NET says, temporarily reside abroad. So there's a thought and a mindset that if our hope is on something future, something grander, something eternal, right. that no matter where we are, we're just passing through. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, but then there's also a very real life you can also be persecuted physically. Right. You are, so you have to flee to somewhere else and be in So, yeah, the first thing that makes you wonder, why did they scatter? Yeah. Um, which I think ought to make us think back to, like, the early church. Why did the early church that was planted and started in Jerusalem, why did they all scatter? It wasn't because they, like, started fighting and they said, hey, we don't like each other anymore. We're going to leave. Um, it was that they got ran out of town, right? I mean, they... They basically got ran out of town. And and from that time on, Christians were being persecuted pretty much all over the Roman world. Um, of course, interesting when we read the Peter's letter, um, you, it's kind of debatable, like what kind of stuff they're going through. Like how bad is it? Are Christians like being murdered? You don't hear of Peter talking about like Christians who have lost their heads for the for, for their faith uh, in this letter, like you do in Revelation, in the letters to the seven churches of Asia in Revelation, for example. Um, but you do hear about uh, them going through some stuff, tested by fire, um, you know, in this text, uh, various trials. We're going to see some other things related to that. Uh, gives you at least the um, awareness that uh, that life is not exactly comfortable for the saints there, that they're not really feeling like they belong in the places where they're living. All right, other thoughts on that idea of uh, elect exiles? Why why um, Peter might refer to them in that way or what kind of challenges you might expect them to be facing? Yeah, go ahead, Brian. Um, I don't remember if I, I remember it was kind of like looking, researching. I don't know if it was something that was said in group or in, or in church, but I remember I was reading someone who was writing about the Christians at the time after Christ died and, and was resurrected. And he was basically saying that the Christians are just spreading this evil doctrine, just evil thought and making, I think he was trying to say that they were making people feel terrible about themselves by spreading this doctrine about, you know, this, this hoax or whatever, that this man had risen. He was speaking as a very kind of lay person, but yeah, these Christians are just evil. Yeah, there is, a, by this point, you've got some people who are speaking ill of Christians. We know that from the letter um, as we get deeper into it as well. Um, there are going to be people who are going to say some things about, about them. Um, all right, good. Uh, I want to real quickly just kind of trace you through this letter. Um, and just briefly, I want you to look with me um, at some of the things we learn about the, uh, the early Christians and things that they were going through here. Um, so look with me, if you would, starting in, uh, in chapter one and verses six and seven. And, and, and the goal of this, we're going to take a, just a quick uh, run through the letter. The goal of what we're doing here is I want you to think about 
what do we learn about the kinds of trials, the kinds of hardships, the kinds of suffering and difficulties that the Christians were actually facing when Peter writes this letter? We're going to get some hints in these verses. I'm just going to read some text here, and then uh, and then at the end of it, I'll, I'll give you a chance to comment on it. What do you see? What do you hear happening that these Christians are going through in these verses? So we're going to start in chapter 1 and verse 6 and 7. Um, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials. So the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Um, skipping over to uh, chapter 1. And in verse uh, 17, um, call, if you call on him as father who judges impartially according to each one's deeds, conduct yourselves with fear throughout the time of your exile. Again, he describes them there as in exile. Chapter 2 and verse 4, this is speaking of Jesus. Um, as you come to him, uh, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious you yourselves like living stones are being built up into a spiritual house um skip down to verse 11 and 12 beloved i urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul keep your conduct among the gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers they may see your good deeds and glorify god in the day of visitation. Um, chapter 2 and verse 15. For this is the will of God that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. And in chapter um, 2 and verse 18 and 19, he says, servants be subject to your masters with all respect, not only to the good and gentle, but also to the unjust. For this is a gracious thing when mindful of God, one endures sorrows while suffering unjustly. And skipping down to verse 23, uh, speaking of Jesus again, he says, when he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges uh, justly. Chapter 3 and verse 9, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For, this is, uh, for to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. Verse uh, 14, chapter 3 and verse 14. Uh, Even if you should suffer for righteousness sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts, honor Christ the Lord as holy, being always prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks of you a hope, a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect, having a good conscience, so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it's better to suffer for good, doing good, if that should be God's will than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins. Um, chapter 4 and verse uh, 4, we're almost done here. Uh, With respect to this, they are surprised that you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery, and they malign you. Uh, chapter 4 and verse 4. Chapter 4 and verse 12 Beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you as though something strange were happening to you, but rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings that you also may rejoice and be glad when his glory is revealed. 
If you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. Let none of you suffer as a murderer or a thief or an evildoer uh, or as a meddler. Yet if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in that name. And again, chapter four and in verse 19, therefore, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. Uh, lastly, chapter five, verse eight, be so sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around you like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kind of suffering that are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world, um, uh, knowing that the same kind of, kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So as you listen to all that, and I know it's a lot of text to, to throw at you, but as you read through that and you listen to that, what do you hear? Um, just imagine, like, put yourself in the position of the early saints there, the early Christians, um, in uh, it, scattered across these nations. And, and I want you to think about, like, what would life be like for you? What did you hear? Uh, what can you imagine the Christians there going through? Um, as they live as elect exiles scattered across these nations. What did you hear? What did you say? A lot of suffering. A lot, of suffering. Uh, a lot of big emphasis on suffering. Yeah, so you're going through a lot of mess. You're going through a lot of suffering, but rejoice about it, which is kind of strange, right? Um, we'll come back to that. Good, good, good. Anybody else? What did you hear? What kind of things do you expect or, or, or think that Christians would have been facing after, after reading these verses? Yeah, Ruth. Um, hostility towards them. Um, they're probably outcast amongst the other Gentiles or unbelievers. Um, yeah, I guess ridiculed. Seems like it, right? A lot of ridicule, a lot of uh, people mocking them or making fun of them or um yeah good anybody else unfair treatment people being treated unfairly might not think about this as suffering but some of them are suffering uh, the loss of friends who are surprised that they no longer that these christians are no longer running with them and living their old life you know the old life that they used to live they're not doing it anymore um and they're surprised by it and not only that, not only are they surprised, but what did he say in verse four? Um, they malign you. That is, it's not just like, hey, why aren't you running with us anymore? It's uh, they're mocking, they're reviling, uh, they're malign. I want you to think about this. Um, how similar is what you read about here in First Peter? 
how similar or different is uh, life for us now as Christians in Brooklyn or in New York or in USA um, in 2020? Um, you know, to what extent do you and in what ways do you see the church here as exiles in Brooklyn? And, and I want you to think about that as it relates to this. One thing that strikes me is you don't hear in this letter about anybody being killed um, for, for Christ. Like you don't hear about people like being uh, shot or stabbed or, uh, you know, crucified um, when Peter writes this letter, uh, which of course, you know, we don't experience a whole lot of that here in, in stateside in the U.S. either. Christians around the world certainly do in many places. Um, but but as you think about what you're what we're seeing here in this letter so far, just from a brief overview, um, what does that make you think about? And, and how do you think about the church here in the states? To what extent would you say uh, do we see ourselves as exiles, like, uh, or do we see our? Would you say that's probably not a good way to describe us? Yeah, go. Unfortunately, I feel like too often we are more like settlers yeah we more like you know we're setting up shop we're taking stake into you know where we are okay um, seeing ourselves as visitors or okay yeah good I think, at least in the U.S., right, there's this thought of us being However, if we actually look into a lot of the practice that we do, there's a little bit of a comfortability and a very big conformity to actually the ways of the world. So it's like off top, it may be like, oh, you're a Christian, we're trying to all Christians. Right. Yes, you know, even though there's obviously different Yeah, I think I think you're on something there. Like you kind of hit that all the verses with awesome because to me the thing that stood out is a lot of those references spoke to either their behaviors were really different from their neighbors or the things they were talking about were really strange to their neighbors. Right. And I can't speak for everybody, but I know for me the times when I am most feel like most like an exile is whenever I've behaved in really different ways or spoken about the things I believe that are different. When I don't either behave really differently or I cover up the differences or I don't speak out, then I don't get treated like an exile. I get right. treated like I belong here. Right. But if I actually behave in a diff really different way and speak out about the things I believe that are different, that, that's when that's what does happen. So, yeah. Like I said, it depends on when, right. I'm doing, when I'm doing right. Yeah. When I'm not doing right, I'm not and if I'm, correct me if I'm misunderstanding your point, but if I understand what you're saying, right, uh, LaToya, um, it may depend on whether or not we just call ourselves Christians or whether or not we're actually trying to live the lifestyle of a disciple. While it may not be like a bit, like may not be a thing to, you know, I don't think, I don't think most people in this U.S. 
who would call themselves Christians would, would identify with the idea of being in exile um, or think of it in that way. Um, but I do think that this text is really relevant for people who are diligently trying to live the life of a disciple. Um, and we see that all the time, right? In Brooklyn, if I'm going to live like Jesus, if I'm going to say the things that Jesus would say, if I'm going to walk the way Jesus would walk, uh, a lot of people think that's strange. A lot of people think that's, and not only do they think it's strange, a lot of people don't like it. They don't appreciate it. Um, they may not kill you for it, but they're going to tell you, they, they might talk about you. They might um, do things to hurt you on the job, or they might do things to uh, slander you to your neighbors, uh, or they might do things that actually are, are, are meant to, uh, in some ways, denigrate you or, or, or undermine you or, or, or cost you in some way. Good. Any other thoughts on that you guys have? Yeah, Brian. Uh, Dominic. Oh, sorry. Thank you. Yeah, yeah. yeah go ahead. Let me just put it down here. That'd be easier. I think it depends. Uh, I use this term because it's the only one I can think of. But when I, I think of this one like coffee shop maybe, when I'm going there and I tell them, I talk to the person making the coffee, when I tell them on Sundays that I'm going to church, I feel like I'm just speaking another language. Yeah, know? yeah. It's like I'm talking to them and say, well, I'm on my way to church. And she'll be like, why are you up so early, you know? Right. And then we'll kind of, you know, it's not that we'll talk about church, but I just feel like she's kind of bewildered by that. And, you know, she she doesn't want to insult me, but it just, and I don't know if that's part of my problem, because I feel like this is just not even something I feel comfortable talking to her about, you know? I'll just try to tell her that's why I'm going to church. Um, yeah. And then the other thing, of course, you know, came up on my job where they asked me to uh, to stop writing God bless at the bottom of my emails, sending them agencies to, and I kind of had a discussion with my boss about it, even though I was going to probably say no big deal, just to uh, to kind of like let her know where I was coming from. And it was kind of that worldly description of, well, you know, some people will get offended at that, as if I should have known that. Right. And not offended. <laughs> you, know? <laughs> you know? It was like, yeah, I, I thought she was going to at least say, like, hey, don't even worry about it. But she was like, you know, some people, I don't know who she's talking about. She's not talking about anyone. But, um, yeah. So, yeah. It, it, it made me feel strange in a way that I hadn't before. Mm. Yeah, let's wait. No, I was just gonna say the last thing I would add is that I think a lot of times um, the the parts that are a little bit more, I guess, palatable about Jesus, people accept more. Mm -hmm. Like when you think about love and things, but then when it talks about giving up something mm -hmm. or change or suffering mm -hmm. with Christ, then it becomes like a whoa, 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 right. whoa. Like, what, what, right. <laughs> you're doing the most. Right. You yeah. know? With which kind of speaks to the the idea of false graces too, right? Some people would say, "Hey, you know, you're a Christian, you're good. Like, uh, you know, li live, prosper, be merry. You know, live it up." Um, and uh, and yet Peter writes and he says, "Hey, I'm writing you about the true grace of God. And by the way, I know you're going through sufferings and I know you're going through trials and I know you're dealing with all this mess, but that's actually like part of it." He doesn't say like, "Hey." You know, like um, I, that if you were a real Christian, you wouldn't be going through that. Or if you were going, if you were, if you were really, you know, if you're really God's, if you really were led by the spirit, everybody would love you. He basically acknowledges like this is, this is the life you've been called to, the life of an exile. 
and you're going to suffer for a little while longer. You're going to be going through that. Jesus says, like, don't be surprised. Yeah, right. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. That's right. Rather than thinking, hey, this is crazy and life shouldn't be hard. If God, if I really have God's grace, everything should be going my way. He actually says, hey, don't be surprised that you're going to be going through a lot of a lot of real challenges. Yeah, yeah that's right. And I think like refugees, exiles, they're not surprised when people don't understand how they talk. Right. Or they can't find food that really jives with their diet or whatever. They're not surprised because they know I'm not from here. So like Peter's trying to remind us like, hey, man. Don't, don't forget who you are, and that'll help you not be surprised. When yeah. People are like, what are you doing, man? Why are you talking that way? Why are you living that way? Of course, we're going to come into conflict. Um, yeah, amen. Hey, right. Caleb? Rich, go ahead, yeah. I, I'm sorry. I had a thought, too, that um, at this time when this was written, when Peter was writing, the people that were, uh, the Christians that were exiled were being was sort of uh, being hated and exiled for this new and radical belief uh, in Christ and what he represented, especially from the opinion of the, of the Jews, which was, you know, they felt this was, how are you just gonna write yourself into our covenant is how a lot of them felt. And, they were, and Paul was stoned and felt so much opposition. Um, and then I think about today, so then it was for being new and radical, and now it's for being old and archaic. The same yeah, beliefs yeah, that right. people, you all are exiled a while. You're still believing in this Jesus thing, and why are you trying to live that way? That's, that's right. The Bible needs to be changed. Um, right. The blessing, though, for me, and is just that rem remembering and knowing that God is, was, is, and always will still be on the throne, and his word is sovereign, and it hasn't changed. And these words still apply. It's just not new and radical now. Now people see it as old, but it's still God's word and we still have to stay focused on it. And the devil still prowls, not because we're new and radical, but because um, the word is still strong and he doesn't want you to hold on to it. And he looks for those to fall away from that. So I wanted to share it. Amen. Yeah, yeah those are really good thoughts. All right, so one of the big reasons why we're doing this class is to try to encourage us as saints to embrace being elect exiles in this world. We are exiles in the world. We will never feel fully comfortable here. We will never fit in fully here in this world. Yeah, we're going to have trouble. We're going to have suffering. But we are elect and chosen by God. That is, even though you're an outsider and outcast here, even though you're strange and you're foreign, and you think about that, Probably many of you can look at your life and you can look back and you can say, you know what, when I came to Christ or as I've grown in Christ, I've lost people, people who didn't, who don't love me anymore, who used to love me, people who, who, who don't want me around anymore, who used to want me around, people who used to be kind to me, who are now unkind, people who used to say good things about me, who now say bad things about me. And I want you to realize that that is not a sign that we've gone the wrong way or we've gone off the rails. That's a sign that we are following and we are submitting to the true grace of God. Um, that's a sign that we are living as exiles in this world. And I want you to think about if nobody ever feels that way about you, it's probably good. Doesn't mean necessarily that there's something wrong with your character or wrong with your discipleship, but it's probably good for me. If, if nobody ever feels that way about me, it's probably good for me to check myself and ask myself, Mm -hmm. Am I am I more palatable um, to the people around me than Jesus would be? Mm -hmm. am, am, am I more uh, loved and appreciated than Jesus would be? Mm 
and am I embracing that life of rejection, suffering, and exile that Jesus lived on this earth when he came from heaven to earth and lived as a stranger and a soldier in this world? Or am I uh, looking more and more like the world that, that I'm around? That's a big part of what we want to think about and reflect on as we read this letter. Go ahead, Winston. Yeah. Just following what you were mentioning, um, uh, it should be a diagnostic, like, you know, tool for us. If we're super cool with someone who's in the world, um, you know, and like our best friends, they're just not a Christian, but we're just best friends. You know, that's just my, just my, just someone I, you know, hang out with and we do X, Y, and Z. And we're friends, we're not Christians, we're not Christian, but we're friends. Um, and, and they're just cool. And, and we're just cool, we're super tight. Uh, or my or my best friend, they fall in the way, but you know what? You know, we're still cool. we're still tight, you know, we still hang out, we still chat, we still do all the same things that we used to do. Um that should really be a warning sign to me. Like, am I being, you know, am I am I am I really looking out for their best interests? Am I really telling them about how much they urgently need Christ? Right. You know, and are they, you know, being warm to that or are they just continually rejecting that? And does that mean that I stop talking? Does that mean that I stop saying something? So that they're just like, oh yeah, I know they think differently, but they don't bother me about it, or they don't make me feel bad about it. Um, if that's not the case, then maybe I'm shying away from the true grace of God so that I could maintain these friendships who ultimately I don't really care about because I'm not telling them what's most important to them. Yeah. All right, so I hope that is a nice kind of uh, introduction to this theme that we're going to look at in every class throughout this letter of being exiles, but elect. I love that. It's like a, almost a great irony, right? You're an exile, but you're chosen. You're special. You're a stranger, but you're you're special to God. You're you're in exile, but you're elect to God. You're 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 chosen. You're precious in the sight of God. And by the way, he's going to emphasize this all throughout the letter, both being true about Jesus and also being true about the people of Jesus. And so we need to understand that if we're going to be the people of God, we've got to embrace that role uh, as being elect exiles. So let me ask you this. Um, we got about 10 minutes left here. And in the 10 minutes here, I want you to think about from, go back to the first paragraph. And we're just going to look at the opening paragraph here, verses one to 12. And I want to ask you, what do you see in this opening paragraph that would be helpful to you if you were in that position? Or maybe we should say, since we are in that position of being elect exiles here in 2020, what do you see in this opening paragraph that is helpful to you, to, that helps you to embrace that identity that you've been given as elect exiles of God living scattered across this, these, uh, the world what do you see in these verses that would be helpful or encouraging to you if you're in that situation back then or in that situation today as saints? We're back in chapter 1, verses 1 to 12. What do you guys see there that encourages you or strengthens you um, and helps you to embrace that life as elect exiles in the kingdom of God? I like verse three uh, in First Peter one, um, especially when it says, "In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead." And in verse four, and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil, or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you. 
Yeah, I love that. I love that. Really beautiful. Uh, I'm just going to make one comment on that. Maybe you guys have other comments on that verse or another verse. Um, I love the fact that he says born again into a living hope. Uh, and it reminds me that yeah. many people throughout history and today put their hope in things that die. Yep. Put their hope in things that lead to death. Put their hope that in things that end in death. Um, he says you got a living hope um, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. How do you? How do we know this hope is alive? Well, God raised Jesus up from the dead. God made Jesus alive from the dead, so our hope is also alive. Good, good, good. What else do you guys see here in these verses that would be really uh, encouraging or helpful to you if you're living in first century Asia, scattered as a saint there, or if you're living today? in the United States as an, as an elect exile. Yeah, go ahead. Just following on that, if I, you know, grieve because I lost a friendship, you know, a former great friend, um, that's something that I thought was going to be enduring. They were my best friend. Yeah, yeah. And now that perished, that faded away. Yeah. If I'm grieved because I'm distant from a family member who I was just so close to, um, but because of the gospel, we're going in different directions. Um, that's something that I, I couldn't have imagined, you know, perishing or fading away, but it did. Yeah. But what gives me hope in that situation is that, well, I have something that isn't going to fade away, that isn't going to die. Yeah. Um, so it just shows me something that I can have even though I'm losing all these other things. Amen. Yeah, Toya. I think verse six, I mean, in addition to the verses above it, but verse six um, specifically says, this brings you great joy. Although you may have to suffer for a short time in various trials, and it makes me think about the reality and the truth of this life being very short in the spectrum of eternity. Right. So it's like, I can have the crappiest life by whoever standards here. But the reality is what comes after that, like this was a really short, like a flash in a pan. That's right. You know? mm-hmm. The illustration I heard that stuck with me back in the day, um, you know, if you could, if you could choose to live in a house that is dirty and nasty and wretched and and full of cockroaches and rats and everything else um and 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 yet you got to stay there for a week but in the end after spending a week there you get like a nice beautiful castle to live in beautiful mansion to to live in and stay in for the rest of your life would you do it would you do it you know some of you're like nah not with the rats not with the cockroaches not doing it not even for a week um but most of you are brooklyn residents so you're probably like well, i already do that anyway so like, uh, <laughs> hey, give me two years two years of <laughs> oh snap yeah <laughs> thanks man um yeah so but i mean obviously like right i mean you'd be like wow i can deal with that for a week it's just like a short time it's just a little while all throughout this letter that's what peter says a little while after you've suffered a little while, then you're going to receive this glory that is unending and, uh, and imperishable and will not fade away. Um, so, so hang in there. Yeah, good. What else do you see in these verses that would be super encouraging or helpful? One thing I see like uh, Yeah, go ahead, Ruth, and then Polycarp. We'll get you Polycarp in just a second. Oh, okay. Um, I actually like um, verses, a, I guess, a little bit. Mm, 11 and 12 
to think that how God has designed all this and his planning, um, that it's actually for me, like to the lavish the, the riches of the good news and to think of like, man, even the angels um, can't look upon it the way we can. So it's such a, a like a huge privilege we have. So yeah, that, it's that's like, definitely encouraged. Yeah, we think about this as like, man, life is so miserable, life is so hard. Um, Peter says, hey, actually, there were some guys that lived like back in the day and they longed to see this day. They wished that they were here and they got to experience all the blessings you have. They didn't even understand the things they were writing about. And yet they went through things that are just as hard or even harder than what you're going through. So uh, so appreciate where you are. Good, good, good. Good. Go ahead, Polycarp. Yeah, uh, Richard spoke about it like a verse four, the end of it. This is like this inheritance is kept in heaven for you. That uh, I like the idea it's kept in heaven while I'm on earth. So it's yeah. like uh, I'm trying to save money, right? <laughs> so I have the cash, uh, I like to spend. So in order to not spend or to not lose the money, I deposit in the bank. So right, so God deposits the inheritance in his bank, and he's the one who's protecting it, guarding it, and all that. So like I cannot change it. All I have to do really follow what he says. So that's I, right. I, I, that's that's that really that's right and if it's on earth like it could be destroyed hurricane wildfire you know stolen yeah hacked yeah like amen um but uh if it's in heaven like it's 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 safe it's safe a lot of things we put our hope in a lot of things we dream about here on earth are not safe like you know you could lose it you can get like rich, like billionaire and lose it all. Like you can get, you can have like nice house and it can burn down. You could have the nicest car in the world and you could uh, lose it in an accident. But the, this hope, this living hope that we have is in things that are reserved in heaven. That is they're they're protected. I'm going to, I'm going to continue on that thought and jump in anybody else here uh, who has a thought on this, but I want to continue on that thought. The next phrase I've been thinking a lot about this week who by God's power are being guarded through faith. I was talking to one of the sisters in the church and um, she's been doing what I would call almost, uh, although it's not, not, not at all. Um, but I'm, I'm, this just shows the weakness of my faith, the tempt temptation to think about this way, but what I would call almost reckless evangelism. <laughs> that is, she's like, she's talking to people about the Lord all the time and on the job and all this, like, and, and, and somebody recently we were having this conversation, like, you could use, you could lose your job. You better be careful. Like, you, you know, you be careful. And then I was thinking, you know what? Like we're guarded by the power of God. Like we have God's power surrounding us. Um, we ought not be thinking like always about what we're afraid of. Like what, what could happen to me? What could this do to me? How this could hurt me? Um, not if God's, not if God's power is protecting you. You like, wait, we have the power of God, the God of the universe guarding us through faith for a salvation that is already ready to be revealed. Um, if that's the case, like, Think about like the how encouraging that is, like how inspiring, how motivating that is. Like I got, I can, I can do anything for the Lord. I can go out, I can preach, I can serve Him in whatever way. I don't have to fear because I'm being guarded by the power of God. I think that would be so encouraging to the saints there in the first century to just think about that idea. Even though God's not here, and He says He goes on to say, even though you haven't seen Him, even though I don't see Him, He's guarding me, He's protecting me, He's with me. And he's helping me through this uh, and all the things I'm facing. Good, good, good. Any any other thoughts or comments on that idea of things you see here in this text that would be really helpful to you if you were in this situation? 
you mentioned like that idea of being elect or being chosen. Yeah. I've seen at times whenever um, I've traveled short trips overseas. I think by the time we went to Sierra Leone and our bags were lost and <laughs> yeah. all this stuff for like weeks, it was not a big deal. Because yeah. we're like, well, we're just going to be here for a couple of weeks. Right. And besides that, at the end of the day, we're Americans, baby. Like, <laughs> we need something, we're going to be all right. Right. You know, we right. have this identity and you have that identity when you go to other nations. And I think this passage right here speaks to like, we're born again, like we're children of God. And that really means something to where no matter what goes down, we know who we are. So right. we know at the end of the day, we're fine. Like right. We're going to be in good shape. And if we really embrace that chosenness, that child of God, that born of identity, then no matter what happens, we're in good shape. Yeah. That's a good line. Just to remind us, how helpful would it be for you if instead of spending this week, three or four or five hours a day watching the news or on social media. How helpful would it be if you spent that time, like invest that time just for the week, just this week? Don't, I'm not asking you to do this forever, but the time that you would normally invest in the news and media, what if you just invested that in, in these verses? Like, you think you'd be in a healthier mindset a week from now rather than, uh, rather than a more like messed up mindset? I mean, this is really powerful stuff. I'm going to give you one more word and then I'm going to shut up and give you, if anybody else wants to talk, um, I want you to notice real quickly with me just how much the focus on God's grace in this letter is uh, is is present and future. Like, notice the emphasis on the future. Uh, talking about the salvation that's ready to be revealed in the last time. Um, it's, that's verse five. Um, then talking about um, in verse um, nine, obtaining as the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And then in verse 10, um, concerning the salvation of prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours. Um, the, notice the emphasis and all throughout this letter, uh, actually verse 13, we're coming to next week, but take a look at it real quick, just to emphasize this idea. Therefore, preparing your minds for action, being sober minded, set your hope fully on the grace that will be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Do you notice how much Peter is emphasizing here? Think about the grace that is ahead of you. Now it's interesting because in the letter, he's gonna talk about grace past, present and future. Like you've already received grace and you are receiving grace and it's being multiplied to you even now. And I'm praying that it would be multiplied even more. But notice that the emphasis here is on the not yet part of God's grace. And I just want you to think about that. like. Uh, getting back to the comment that was made earlier about how grace and peace be multiplied to you. What Peter is promising here is that the grace that we've experienced already in God and all of us have, we've experienced some really tremendous grace from God already. We've seen God save us out of messes that we put ourselves in. We've seen God rescue us from slavery to sin. We've seen God take us and completely transform us and make us into completely new people. We've seen incredible grace of God. But you know what P Peter's saying in this letter? He's saying, you ain't seen nothing yet. Like the grace that is to come is far greater and far surpasses anything you've seen so far in God. I think that's comforting. I think that's helpful. And I think that's inspiring. If you're a, if you're an elect exile back in the first century, if you're an elect exile today in 2020 in Brooklyn, that is inspiring to us. Look at what we have ahead of us and let our mind be fixed on that. A lot of other hopes, a lot of other promises in this world are going to fail us. But we have a living hope, a hope that's going to endure and it's reserved in the heavens.
All right. I'm sorry to preach at you for the last few minutes here, but uh, anybody else want to point out other things you notice here in these verses? There's, there's probably a lot more that we haven't really touched on here um, or maybe tripped over or stumbled over um, in these verses, but anything else you guys want to bring out um, before we wrap up tonight? Sure. Yeah. Um, so going back to verse 12, uh, well, verse 10, he talks about how this salvation is what they were prophesying about and the grace that to be that was to be yours. That's what they were searching for and inquiring. Um, and then in verse 12, he says, it was revealed to them they were not serving themselves, but you and the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. So I, I, I take that as there's some parts of this that even the angels don't yet fully understand about what God's grace is and what it's going to look like and how it's all going to be in the end. Um, I may be wrong about that, but that's the way I read that in verse 12. Any other thoughts on Polycarp's question there uh, or or anything else here in the first 12 verses before we wrap it up today? I, I love that part because it's like you imagine these angels up in heaven who are like, man, I want to see what, what's, what's going to happen with humans. Like, yeah. like they're peering over a little wall or something. It's whether they know it or whether they haven't seen it. It's like it's just amazing to feel like the angels are like on their toes trying to see what's going to happen with us, like in a good way. Like they're yeah. anxious. To, they really want to see us, our salvation. Amen. Man, thanks everybody. Thanks so much for your comments today. Um, thanks for the encouraging discussion. Hope it was helpful for you. Um, I want you to be thinking about I've, on each of the sheets I'm going to give you each week. Um, you're gonna, there's a section for reading, and I really want to encourage us. We're not looking at a lot of text. Take some time each week to read and read it again and again. You could easily just before you go to sleep just read this and meditate on it as you're falling asleep each night. Uh, or when you get up in the morning before you go to work, just read these uh, few verses. The, this week, we're going to look at verses 13 through uh, 25. So maybe take a couple of days to just meditate on the first 12 verses again. Um, if you haven't already been doing that for Monday and Tuesday and then Wednesday through Saturday, take some time to meditate on verses 13 to 25. Um, but I want you to, I, I really want us to think about three things as we do this reading and really engaging with the text and examining the text, reading and writing about what we see in the text. Second though, reflecting. Like like how, I'd like for us to think about this week um, after this class, how will meditating on our hope um, and the grace and the glory that is ahead of me, how will that help me in the current trials I'm facing? Like how will that help me right, right now, what I'm dealing with at work, what I'm dealing with in the neighborhood, what I'm dealing with people around me? Because uh, it will. It'll help me big time if I'll, listen, if I'll think about it, if I'll meditate on it. So think about how different your life would be if you just meditated on that this week um, and take some time to, to reflect. Think about what's happened to you when you weren't thinking about our hope. Think about how where the places, the, down, the, the deep darkness you've gotten into at times when, when the hope that is ahead of you and the inheritance wasn't on your mind. Think about how that's affected you. And then, and then finally, I want us to think about responding. Like read, reflect, and respond. That is, um, what do I need to change? Like moving forward. Don't think about this as like, oh, that was really cool. That was exciting. I learned stuff. That was fun. Think about how should this change the way I live? And there's one big question we're going to keep coming back to throughout this, which is how do we bring the gospel 
to others as strangers and exiles in this city when the message is mostly unwelcome? And I want you to think about that and meditate on that and think about how should what I'm reading change the way I'm living on a day-to-day basis? How should it change the way I speak, the way, I, the way that I act? What can I do differently moving forward to keep this hope on my mind every day so that I don't lose sight of this? Um, and, and what do I need to do to make sure I'm making the most of the opportunities that are right in front of me in the trials now? Because sometimes the opportunities to glorify God are right in front of us and we just miss them because we're not thinking about it. So hopefully that's helpful. We're going to do that each week. Read, reflect, respond, and, and try to use this to help us change and grow. Uh, I really appreciate all the encouragement tonight. Let's take a moment to finish with prayer before we end. Father, thank you so much for our time in your word. Help us to embrace our identity as exiles in this world, strangers, sojourners, foreigners, but as elect and choice and precious in your sight. Help us, Lord, to embrace that truth uh, about us that you've revealed in scripture and help us to live in that new identity um, every day, to live as strangers, to be different from the world, uh, but, to, but to proclaim your excellencies into the world, to live out the gospel day by day um, so that others may come to know your goodness and your glory. Uh, help us, Lord, to follow in the footsteps of our Savior, to suffer with him so that we can reign with him and share in his glory. In Jesus we pray. Amen. The aim of The Way BK is to share the gospel of Jesus Christ across Brooklyn and beyond. For more information or to contact us, please visit www.thewaybk.com.